snack. And we're back. I wish you could see how much Chad Higgins dances as that song rolls in. Like it's, it's it's a real sweet moment. It's it's a thing. Like it's a brings a little joy. Hopefully you're in the car, in the office. Maybe you're on the treadmill at the gym and you just picked up a little extra in your pace because you're snapping along. And so Chad, we're back. This is like episode two hundred and seven or eight or something we've man, we've been we've been doing this for a minute did you know that it's next- 200 more than i thought i'd have to do you know? <laughs> you're like we'll get in a couple weeks of this we'll be done did you know that next month uh is actually like the sixth year of us podcasting can you believe that that's six years wow. my friend six years of doing this so wow that's three hundred thousand like, downloads like my- later that's right yeah no it's good <laughs> That's like my entire college career. You know? <laughs> Dude, that's like, uh, you know, a lot of people go to college for six years. So <laughs> they're called doctors. doctors. <laughs> uh, hey, man. Uh, so before we get into some of the things we want to talk about today, uh, if this is your first time listening, uh, we'd love to follow and connect with social media. We are committed to make sure that our posts are both entertaining and informing because, Chad, uh, it's time. We, we need updates there's a real saga that's been happening the last couple yeah. episodes. So if people haven't caught the last two episodes, whenever you listen to this episode, please go back and listen, at least to the first parts of them. Because in the Higgins household, like there, there is a drama unfolding. And I think we get the resolution this week. So the quick hit is Chad's sweet daughter, Malia, wanted to have a pet. Chad, being the thoughtful and providential father, was like, we're not going to have a big pet. We're going to have a manageable pet. So we got fish, started with one fish, pancake, pancake passed, tragedy. But through the grief and the loss, Malia has yeah. come back. And you came home with multiple fish in a 10-gallon tank. But now we're playing a game of Survivor at the Higgins household, and not all the fish that started are with us. Some have been voted out of the tank. So where where do we stand today? It's quite the fish tale, Zach. Um <laughs> Yeah, like you said, Pancake, our first fish, was beloved by our family. Um, man, you know, for health reasons, just didn't make it. Um, and so then we got these new fish. Um, and if you listen to last week's episode, there's one fish whose name is Milk, who is unbelievably aggressive. They Like... For- Karen laughed audibly at the milk is aggressive. And when you shared that lactose intolerant people have known that for years, like there was, there was an audible laugh in the working household. So thank you for that. So milk milk is still mean and aggressive, both in like liquid and fish form. Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. And so, uh, at first he took, he took out, um, uh, blueberry and which was sad because blueberry was by far the prettiest fish. So I think first and foremost, milk was like, I don't need no competition in this tank. You know, this blueberry got it going on, got to go. Uh, then, then he took out uh, socks, which blacktail and socks were hanging together. I thought they had a good chance. You know, they were like, hey, we're buddies. A two on you stick one, on, handicap. Yeah, yeah you yeah, stick yeah. on your side of the tank. You, I'll stick on mine. Uh, but during the middle of the night, Milk took him out. I think, if I'm going to be honest, I think 
I mean, I think Blacktail kind of let down his guard, right? Like maybe Blacktail with the wheel. Yeah, like he was on, you know, wake duty, supposed to be like looking out for milk, and just let socks get got, and and so socks is out, and then so quickly after socks is out, Blackfin followed him. Um, so now it's just milk by himself in this ten gallon tank. Um, so here's here's the crazy part in all of that. My three-year-old daughter has learned a lot of new words because of this whole thing. Um, one of those being, or two of those being uh, killing and murder, because she has heard that from me and my wife <laughs> of like, you know, uh, that milk is a murderer. And, and so uh, she's completely turned on milk. She no longer likes milk. And is ready for milk to go because she wants other fish. Um, I will read you because I was out of town this last weekend and my wife sent me a couple of word for word um, phrases that Malia uttered over the weekend. Uh, The first one being, mom, I'm so mad milk hasn't died yet. Okay, so pretty dark. Um, The other one, she, my three-year-old daughter tried to convince my wife that we needed to then, like, just get rid of milk. Okay? Done. Done. (laughs) So she, this is what Malia says. I'm, I'm ready for milk to die. And flush him down the toilet. He steals fish. I don't like him. When we flush him, don't be sad. I'll be right there with you. We can be happy. He just needs to go. <laughs> my three-year-old daughter is like coaching my wife, who is a mental health therapist. Through grief. <laughs> through grief. <laughs> I'll be right there with you. <laughs> I'll be right here with you. Mama, we can do this together. So I, I, I'm i really worried at this point now of like what this is going to mean for my her, daughter. Her relationship to small animals. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't know. If we're, we're training, you know, a serial killer or what, what's happening. But uh, the, the, the new news though, uh, um, we will be getting more fish not to put in with milk. Okay. Um, we're going to be moving milk to his own tank. Send uh, to a fish farm up north. So Malia stays with my mother-in-law during the day. And so we're going to put milk over at the mother-in-law's house oh, in his own tank. Put milk in a home. <laughs> so here's another conversation that we had to have with Malia. Cause we told her that we were going to take milk over to Graham's house. And then she began to get worried that milk was going to kill Graham. Okay. Wow. Because this is what she knows of this fish, right? She doesn't know the fish. Anybody that cohabitates with that fish is not long for this world. Right. We're taking her over to Graham's. I don't want Graham to end up like old socks here, you know? That's for sure. Fair. And so uh, we had to explain to Malia that, no, we're we're all far too big to get eaten by by milk. You know, milk's crafty, man. Don't put anything past milk. That's true, man. I, I didn't think he would be able to take out, you know, a tank full of fish either. But he did that with uh, ease. With ease. So, well, here's to you, milk. Royal Rumble winner, 
battle royale. <laughs> God, he is the Hogan of fish. <laughs> he's just he's just tossing people over the top rope. I mean, it's just it. So, as a wrestling fan, who who do you think Milk is? Uh, who does he uh, represent? Pale, big, unstoppable. It's Brock Lesnar, man. <laughs> <laughs> Now is Easy. Brock Lesnar? He's the guy with like the sword tattoo. Yeah, down he's the, the one the that chest. like uh, wrestling to pro football to MMA back to pro wrestling. And so yeah, can I ask you a question? As a guy, so <laughs> I, I feel like face tattoo is the most aggressive tattoo. It's the hardest one opinion. to walk back. It's hard to walk a face tattoo back. I feel like straight up your belly between your chest is also a pretty aggressive tattoo. It's an aggressive tattoo, especially if you're in a line of work where your shirt's always off. Cause like, I mean, that's, that's just like, that demands a certain physique, right? Like, cause that's right, always right. the danger of tattoos is as your body changes, like, so does the tattoo. And that's just like, I mean, it's a sword when he's fit. I mean, it probably is like a well or a cistern when he's like overweight, right? Yeah, like dude. It, it doesn't age well. It's I guess you go what is back that? to wearing tank tops. But. <laughs> what is that? A, what is that? A candy cane? <laughs> yes, <sir. laughs> Shepherd's rest. Yeah, yeah. Wrestler in your thirties, Santa in your sixties. <laughs> goes from sword to scimitar, right? It just kind of <laughs> curves around. <laughs> scimitar. So, all right. So where are we going with all this, Zach? <laughs> well, the, the joke that we had, like... I uh, feel like my transition here is always like, okay, the wheels have come off. <laughs> let's, Bring us back. Well, I mean, so we wanted to finish our... We wanted to finish our fish saga, which is a real yeah, fun tongue twister. I'm sure people really care about my People fish. voice. People uh, people were connected, uh, which is the connect... <laughs> the tissue, the thing that we wanted to draw a line between. Uh, we had a really excellent webinar with our friend Paul uh, on some of the things related to uh, better care, uh, uh, trauma-informed youth ministry. And so he was walking through some of the principles of that. And one of them was safety and security. And, and I was taken back from that call... Uh, with some of our members, how much that was like immediately helpful. So we just wanted to maybe share a highlight of that with our listeners yeah. here of just the, especially I think in a season where we're rethinking a lot of what we're doing in ministry. One of the things that Paul encouraged us was to do kind of like a safety or security audit, which was to just go through the environment you've created, whether that's your youth room, your youth building, the home where your small groups are meeting. Wherever students are gathering that you have a level of responsibility or umbrella coverage for. And just to think about in what ways is this a safe environment or promote a safe environment for students that are entering into relationship, connection, and community. And so some things he shared is, you know, like, you know, do doors have windows? Do rooms have security cameras? Do you have like parents or adults or security officers, if that's the right call for where you're at? But just to walk through, not like, I think, because we're always really, you know, walking through the youth room, like, is it fun? You know, let's put a TV up here with a switch or like, hey, if we're at the house, let's not just have food. Let's have, you know, cornhole in the backyard. Let's make sure that like, you know, this paint is terrible. This couch is gross. (laughs) Or whatever, yeah. like let's do, you know, let's, you know, let's let's make it fun and vibrant. But one of the pieces that he offered that has always been true, but maybe is especially true now, 
is is it safe, secure, or or promote feelings of that for students? And yeah. so I think there's some things to kind of work through and audit, some questions to ask. Uh, I was telling you before we recorded today, uh, some of it's like the things we do, the games we play. Uh, I, I, I would love to throw this out to the the, the universe of youth ministry, uh, the the game Kill Ball that's become really popular in a lot of youth ministries, which is like it's great because it takes a volleyball in a circle of people. Uh, and it's the passing back and forth kind of like, you know, hot potato, but like hit it, spike it, whatever. Um, but man, I watched a sixth grader get his weekend ruined this Sunday by getting kill ball spiked in the face. And I just like 24 year old me would have thought that was hilarious because right, like, right. kids should have moved. Kids should, kids should have moved. Like, <laughs> like yeah. don't wear pearl snaps in the gym. Right. Or whatever. Like, I mean, he was like, you know, shirt press Jordan's on and just got a black eye out of a Wilson volleyball. And, and I just think that there's some things, I mean, that's like an easy one to pick on because a kid got hurt so we can address it. But what are some other things that might either make students feel excluded or at odds or on the outs or maybe just not safe to be there? And that's the second level that Paul shared that I thought was really helpful is are, are the spaces you're creating relationally safe? Is it yeah. safe to share? And this is the the training with your volunteers of, you know, if a student shares this, it's, it's promising trust uh, and, and, and care, but not confidentiality. It's the, it's the ground rules for every group meeting. Um, even if you've been meeting for years, like setting the ground rules early helps a new student know what the group is going to look like. I mean, I just, there's a lot of those uh, relationally safe spaces that apply again, Small ministry, large ministry, church building, home group, uh, you know, coffee shop, Bible study, right? There's things to just think about that I think in a lot of ways pr- promote a better, healthier ministry. Uh, and some of it comes on the the pre-work for us as we consider some of these like security, safety yeah. principles audits. So I'd love to hear some of your feedback and thought uh, just for student ministers that are maybe in a mode of like regular meeting, like we're kind of back on routine. How could we like interject or refresh or one of your favorite words, evaluate where we are in the midst of of doing ministry week in, week out, month in, month out? One of one of the things that he talked a little bit about um, that made me go, oh, okay, this is um, this is maybe something I haven't thought about. Um, he talked a little bit about kind of the hierarchy of need, um, and and I know for you, Zach, and the way that both of us grew up, um, neither one of us were grew up in homes where we ever felt like we were in danger, you know, or unsafe at home. And so Paul talked a little bit about uh, if you're ministering to students that that is maybe some of their environment um, where things are are rough or hard at home or even at school, maybe they get picked on, those kind of things, um, then the the need of safety um, is quite a bit higher. Yeah. Um, because then, for then them snacks, to then snacks. <laughs> yeah. Well, for, for them to walk in, yeah. if they're already unsafe in other environments yeah. it, with real threat, right? Like real threat, like, um, that's going to cause in them, uh, you know, trauma and tension and all those kind of things. And so when they walk into your facility, um, where you and I, as middle school, high school kids, um, would probably walk in and go, are there people here that I like? Is it fun? 
they're going to begin to immediately evaluate of like, am I safe here to be able to even hear the gospel presentation, those kind of things that's the heart of what we're doing. Um, And so us thinking through like, are we creating an environment where it's seen safety by these kind of students to allow them to feel comfortable enough to really engage and be there? Um, or is it unknown? Yeah. Um, and and one of the things that uh, kind of continued to echo in my head is like, will these students see us um, safe because of the environment that we've created? Mm. Um, and I think that that's a big deal because for maybe some students, the adults in their life who are unsafe, um, they want the secret, right? They want the uh, the area of the unknown and, oh, we don't need to talk about this. I can keep a secret. You can keep a secret. And that's unhealthy, right? Yeah. Um, and sometimes we can think that like, oh, we're creating a fun environment, um, but we we lose some of that along the way. Now, you you know that you and I are all about fun yeah. and games. And sometimes there are games that, you know, tragedy does happen. A kid gets hurt, all those kind of things. We we can't uh, protect against everything like that, but in creating an environment um, that beyond the game is safe, is secure. We've done background checks, things like windows, all those kind of things um, that we can make sure that um, there's a bigger umbrella of safety that's really, really important. Um, I will say this, being in the role that I am now of a campus pastor, um, if you're looking at your space going, man, there's some safety concerns here, um, I will tell you one of the easiest places to probably raise money in your congregation is for safety concerns. Um, You have people in your church that if you went to, you know, with your pastor and, you know, talk through with your pastor and all these kind of things of saying, hey, we've got to create some safety. Here's some concerns that I have. Um, There are people in your church that will step up and and want to meet those needs um, for the uh, for for most of our places. And so if you're just looking at it going, man, I don't know that I got it on my budget, those kind of things. This is an area that people will move for, um, and and they they want to know that their children are safe, you're protected, all those kind of things. Um, and, and so, Zach, talk to me if you were going to begin to evaluate your ministry space, what would be some of the questions you would begin to ask? Yeah, um, I, I think. Again, it, it's the walking through with fresh eyes. So I, I would probably involve somebody that, you know, if you have like a property and space security deacon team to walk through, I, I'd ask a mom and a dad to kind of walk through and help give fresh eyes to, man, I didn't realize that hallway has neither a window or a camera in it. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's one of the things is, you know, not not thinking about like, what's obvious, but what maybe isn't so obvious uh, of, you know, what, what are the areas in which students um, try to peel away? Uh, what are the ways in which 
um, when students are upset are safe places to take them to counsel or connect. Um, I, I think it's thinking through the ways in which um, having designated areas uh, that are for groups to meet that are it's the thing that we've talked about before of always having semi-public places for ministry where it's like it's this part of the room but it's not you know locked away it's not behind a wall curtain or door and i think just having like a perspective or a field of view that's maybe not just yours i think this is a really great like team effort this is a really great like Tuesday afternoon or like Sunday night walkthrough. Maybe even there's a time where students are gathering and you're looking to see how that kind of plays out. Uh, I think this is really important if you're meeting in like places that aren't always your designated place. Uh, One of the churches that we're working with when they do small group ministry, they do it on an off night from other places. So students are in classrooms all over the building and not just like the youth wing of the building. And so I think that invites some other questions. Um, if youth kids are in maybe, you know, not children in youth spaces, I think a lot of churches have done a better job in the last few years of creating like safe sanctuary spaces or like, you know, there's a lot more thought put into like preschool care in some of the adult classrooms. Well, if you're having breakout groups where students are meeting in rooms that are like upstairs that are typically somebody else's room, that's really important. Um, and then I think some of it is maybe even trying, and we've talked for this important before, some of those local counselor folks that you care about, that you love, maybe that you've got on your short list, asking them for what are some of the things that I'm not thinking about that might create Uh, relationally unsafe spots for students in crisis or experiencing trauma. Um, At the end of the day, like it's going to come from places that we're willing to listen that are not just our own. You're probably doing all you know how to do. The invitation I think from this podcast is what are some things that other folks know that you don't, that you could invite in to better the life of the group ministry or community that you're leading. Mm. Yeah, I think I think that's huge. I think <clears throat> I love the idea of bringing in other other eyes. Um, our space when we're in it for enough time, um, we become blind. Yeah, not only to safety things, but like sometimes to just clutter or you know what I mean, like the outdated kind of look and all those kind of things. And so bringing, bringing other eyes in is huge. You involve other people in that way. I think that that's great. It's another way to continue to build trust and relationship with parents, which is is great. Um, One of the areas that um, as you evaluate um, that I would encourage people to do is drop off and pick up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, extending, how, do kid, how do parents get their kids back? <laughs> correct. Um, and you also talk about in that drop-off pickup space, you know, family ministry is extremely important. Uh, ministering to parents, specifically parents that may not go to your church, but their student does. Um, their only view <clears throat> of what you do may be like, a dark drop-off area, right? With a brick wall. And that's not inviting at all. That doesn't share with your parents, like any sort of value, safety, like 
they may have never walked into your building. You, as your students come in, it may be the safest environment ever, but for that moment, dad, what they they're dropping, what they're dropping their kid off to is a dark parking lot. There's um, no adult standing around. It's yeah. it's just the lights flickering. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I think specifically pickup. Yeah. Um, when we're talking about middle school students, especially if it's evening um, time and it's already darker anyway. Yep. Well, and and you're also as a youth pastor missing an opportunity to engage families in that space. Yeah. Um, if if we all got to a place to where that like switch you know, switched in our head of like, okay, service is over, still hanging out with students outside, but I'm going to begin to work my way to the parking lot. The opportunity to connect with mom and dad in that moment and get to know mom and dad is extremely, extremely valuable. And that's a, that's a piece of the night um, that can be really, really helpful. Um, You talk about having an empowering conversation because a seventh grader is going to jump in that truck and dad's going to go, what'd you guys talk about tonight? Monorail, no, right. nothing. Right. You know what I mean? Which in all reality, you walked through the entire book of, you know, second Samuel or whatever. Did it. All um, the monarchs united. All, and you, yeah. You got them, man. <laughs> um, and you nailed it. Right. Yeah. Like it was so good. Saul to Solomon in 40 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> 40 minutes. Um, but you're able to connect with parents and begin to have that conversation. Hey, this is what we talked about tonight. Uh, you know, here's a great question to ask your kiddo or whatever, um, that those are great ministry moments. Yeah. Um, and if you're a youth pastor that says, oh, I believe the discipleship happens in the home, then you've got to be a youth pastor to equip discipleship to happen in the home. Yeah. Uh, and that means building that relationship, pushing into that, encouraging, challenging parents. And that is an easy place to be in front of them, yeah. to create a safe environment and to propel ministry. It's not a throwaway moment. Uh, and I think that's one of the things that we're learning more and more uh, is some of the chunkier moments of 20 blocks, 20 minutes here, 40 minutes there are good. But it, those, those little five minute pivots of drop off, pick up, transition um, that can make a world of difference for the connection that we have with both students and their families. Um, Chad, I'm excited. Uh, next few weeks, we've got some fun things that we're going to share and talk about. Uh, but for all of our fans of the Fish Saga, thanks for listening and for more conversations about the ways in which we can build and grow healthier ministries. Uh, Youth Ministry Booster Podcast, here for you weekly. Uh, snap! <laughs>